Hi everyone, this is Martin Willis with the Antique Auction Forum with episode number 107 with Rick Jorgensen. Our Jorgensen Antiques is a wonderful shop in Wells, Maine, right on U.S. Route 1. Some of the finest European and American furniture you'll see on the East Coast. A couple of announcements. We would appreciate if you're listening on iTunes to leave us a review. And if you're listening on any other resource, please do come check out our website, which is antiqueauctionforum.com. We always like feedback if you'd like to reach us. That's info at antiqueauctionforum.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash auction underscore podcast. You can like us on Facebook, and we have that icon right on our website. Again, today's guest is great, Rick Jorgensen, and I hope you enjoy the show. This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com. Hi, everyone. I'm in Wells, Maine at R. Jorgensen's Antiques, and I'm with Rick Jorgensen. How are you doing, Rick? Good. Haven't seen you for 20 years. I know. It's been a long time. Um, I remember coming in this shop and seeing your dad here when I was in my 20s, and that was... That was, what, five years ago? <laughs> yeah, a long time ago, and... Uh, I was always impressed. As a matter of fact, I used to take a girl girlfriend here that was liked the antiques just to impress her with this place. Did it work? Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> not not that particular case. But anyway, um, how long has the shop been open here? Uh, Mom and Dad started it in. Um... 1971. Then I joined them in 74, three years later. And then my sister joined three years later than that. And were you involved before you, you were off to school or something? Were no, you? I was living in Montana. I was, oh, uh, wow. I had a old car restoration shop. Really? In Missoula, Montana. Uh-huh. And uh, dad had mentioned this in a number of letters. And then his letters kept getting more and more, well, complicated is a, maybe not accurate, but they were busy letters. They were in detail talking about the excitement of learning the antiques business and working on this property. And then he, this was sort of a drum roll that was leading up to him inviting me to join him, mm -hmm. which at the time... Um, the, in old car restoration, it costs the same to restore a 35 Ford four-door as it does to restore uh, an important card, like a cord. Mm -hmm. uh, and I could never afford to buy the good raw material. So trying something else sounded kind of exciting. Um, I knew absolutely nothing about antiques. Nothing. Really? And... Uh, when I came here, uh, the room that we're sitting in here now was a hole in the ground. Uh, Literally? With, like with, yeah, with foundations framed up mm -hmm. by hand. Um, and then Dad and I, and we hired a guy who knew how to build, and we were sort of his extras. And we pounded nails for a few years. We built this, oh. too. We restored the first showroom. We, the barn that is on the other end of this building... Uh, all of the experts said, get a bulldozer and pull it over. 
uh, which we did not. That was we, a good Maine accent, by the way. Yes, really. <laughs> Um, and so we jacked it into place, and I worked on the rock pile because there were rocks coming up three or four feet in through the floor that is now the floor. Mm -hmm. At any rate, um, we then built um, a workshop on the end. The workshop originally was in the first showroom, and then when we built these two rooms, it was in the room we're in now, and then when we restored the barn, it was then a two-story uh, workshop, and then we built a workshop on the end of the barn, which we then expanded when we built the building out back. So it's now in its final resting place. Wow. The building out back is also beautiful. Had you ever counted the square feet you have for space? Yeah, it's about 6,500 in the building out back, and it's about 5,800 in here. Yeah, and it's just chock-a-block full, beautiful things. Yeah, the people's houses wouldn't be... We try to arrange things... In, um, in a way that pieces look good rather than jumbled, but, of course, it's right. always fuller than somebody's living room would be. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, now, do you do all your own restorations here, right here? Yes. I mean, the, the only restorations that we don't do is I, I mess with clocks. and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not particularly a trained clock guy. I just know physics. So mm -hmm. I sort of follow the energy, and I can usually fix most things. If, if it needs a new gear or a bushing or something, I've got a clock genius up the road that does my work for me. Mm -hmm. The only other fixing that doesn't happen on the premises are done by um, two different guys that worked for us for years. So we sort of mm -hmm. trained them to do that the way we want to do, and now they do it in their basement. Oh, is that right? Well, I noticed the finishes on your, like this table we're sitting at right now, uh, looks like a slit Georgian table. Yes, this is a Regency, uh, sort of a Regency townhouse table. It's mm -hmm. very interesting in that it will collapse down to Pembroke size and yet open up for 10 people wow. for dinner. Wow, yes, I see all these uh, inserts through here, really nice. And I love the finish on it. Um, do you do French polishing yes. as well? Uh -huh. Yeah, we do. We mix up our own shellac. We use raw shellac, and my son is a genius at it. Must be hereditary. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be working on cars if you never moved out of Montana. Yeah, right. Well, thank goodness he's working on antiques. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a lovely property. When your parents bought this, um, was it much like this? Other than the extension? Yes. I mean, the barn was here. The barn's 250 years old, and the house is 1685. And then wow. the first showroom was a tack barn, you know, that they would uh -huh. keep horses in. And then we built the extension and fluffed up the barn and then built the, the big building out back. But the layout of the yard and the horseshoe drive and setback from Route 1 was all in existence. Uh, this originally was a mill house, oh. and there was a sawmill uh, right out the front door of the 1685 mill house um, uh -huh. is Stevens Brook, and you can see remnants of the old dam, and if you dig around down in below it, you can find the old busted-up tub turbine, wow. uh, and sadly, the mill house or the mill was torn down in the 40s. Hmm. Wish it was still there. Yes, yeah. Um, but it was a sawmill. Um, hmm. the, the earliest that we know of is 1651. Um, wow. And the, 
which were the Hammonds, and there's stories, they're true, that his son at the age of 16 was killed by Indians in the backyard. Mm, this backyard right here. Yeah. Wow. And then there's, there's 52 acres that go back on either side wow. of Stevens Brook. Just a but the, the, the acreage that's around the, the mill house and the showrooms, we've had a landscape gardener, a very good landscape gardener for about 25 years. So mm-hmm. anything Bill's told us to do, we just nodded and signed the check. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when your parents first bought the place, did they immediately get into the antiques business here? Yeah, and that's Dad. Dad, uh, throughout his life, has... uh, He doesn't hesitate. He jumps in the deep end. Yeah. So by the time I got here, he'd been in business for just three years, and we immediately started... They had already been going to England for three years to purchase, and we started going... He had been going for three years, and then I joined him... And he was buying serious stuff at auction then. He was buying high boys and low boys. And yeah. he was, you know, he was, he jumped in with both feet. Yeah, you, this shop is known for never messing around, for having the really uh, beautiful, beautiful items. Thank you. And uh, your I website. Guess I agree with you. Yes. <laughs> your website will be linked on this uh, podcast. But what is the website address? Yeah, you just put in R. Jorgensen Antiques and it'll come up. Yeah. Yep, and that's a fairly up-to-date website, I noticed. And you can, oh yeah, we've, you can we've see spent all the a lot images. of money on that website. Yeah. It's, uh, the, the thing that I like about it the most is that when you're actually looking at the objects, it has a particularly uh, dramatic magnification program mm-hmm. so that sometimes I will look at auctions and they'll have a magnifier that, makes it slightly larger, which yeah. is useless. Well, this thing really magnifies it. You can really see mm-hmm. things. Now, do you and do that, any business over the Internet? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in the old days, I mean, old days, but still computer, people would call me and ask, do I have any large tables? And I'd uh-huh. spend, you know, a day sending them email photos, and now I can just say, go to the website, look under large tables. Yeah. So do you actually, like, update it all the time with new images and things? Well, that... To be able to update a website means you have to regularly produce high-quality photos. And that has been our bottleneck from the beginning Mm -hmm. because it entails tearing apart one of our showrooms, putting up seamless paper, tent lights, and doing really real studio photography. All of the furniture that you've just moved out of that showroom then ruins another showroom, and it lasts for... A month or okay. six weeks. Wow. So you so, do this all at one time. Yeah. So what happens is that we get a backlog, 50, 60, 70 things, and then we mm-hmm. do a ph- photography thing for a month, and it messes the showrooms up. Mm-hmm. Well, in the 80s, when business, you could sell anything, <laughs> um, we were going to England a great deal more, and we would get three or four 40-foot containers a year mostly of country furniture, which is now utterly gone. Isn't it? Yes. Um, I see you have one piece over there, though. Yeah, we can still find a little bit, but mm-hmm. only because we have contacts that we've been doing businesses for 25 years. At any rate, at that time, in the 80s, we built a, a large loading dock to accommodate all these containers, which now we get maybe half a 20-foot container a year. 
and most of that is reproduction chairs and tables because the real ones don't they're not there anymore wow so my son about 3 months ago had a brilliant idea of changing that pretty much useless loading dock other than that it's a horizontal surface and it fills up instantly with stuff uh-huh. uh, of changing it over into a photo booth so we oh. just yesterday completed the complete swamping out painting ceiling demousing dehumidifying <laughs> putting new new floors uh, putting wow. in electrical panels that can ha- handle the 6,000-watt tent lights and so forth. So we now have a permanent photo booth, which I'm... Well, you can see the ear-to-ear grin. <laughs> um, so I can now take something that I buy that goes through the workshop to have minor fixing or waxing or whatever. I can take it out, set it down, take a picture, done. And then I can put things on the website without it being so painful. Sure. It just yeah. will flow onto the website. Which, you know, I mean, here, this is sort of 101 website. The people that are the most important to you are the ones that come and visit your site all the time. Mm-hmm. If there's not new stuff to look at, bye-bye. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And uh, that's, that's the way it goes on just about any website. Right. Yes. Um, when did you first start your website? How long ago did you get into that? Oh, gosh. It's got to be 15 years, 12 years. Oh, so years. you've been at it a long time. We've been at it quite a long time. Yeah. I mean, I, we knew we wanted to do it, and we knew nothing about websites, and we hired two guys who were supposed to be, they were, they were hot dog website makers. Mm-hmm. And he would come and he'd say, well, do you like this design? And I didn't know anything. I'd say, sure. <laughs> so after about 20 grand, and wow. he gave me the website, showed me how to use it. And after putting about 50 or 60 things on the website, I realized I hated it. That it, uh-huh. it, I just didn't like it at all. Because in the meantime, I had, because of my connection with them, I had been paying more attention to what websites are supposed to do. At any rate, for about a week, all I did is whine about that I bought this piece of crap website for 20 grand. That's a lot of money, too. And after after a week, I just sort of said, okay, Rick, you wrecked your car. Get over it. Get a new one. Uh So we then hired uh, Primal Media, which is, these were actually friends that had decided to go into it and two of the brightest people on the planet. Um, They produced a website for us about five years ago that we were very excited with, and then about a year ago, we did a major upgrade Mm -hmm. uh, so that it has all this aforementioned magnification, et cetera. I mean, it's a a nice website. Yeah. Go look at it. I have. (laughs) (laughs) You just mentioned a while ago that you're only bringing over half a container a year. Is that... This, I mean, it, it might be a 20-footer, you know, and like I say, most of it is reproduction. I mean, we do a line of reproduction chairs and reproduction tables that we, we find the quality and the type that we want we buy in rural England. Because mm-hmm. I remember years ago when I was stopping in here, there was trips to England all the time. Yes. Do you still try to go over there and find... I haven't, gone, I haven't gone in 10 years. Is that right? My wow. sister has gone every year. 
I'm more into formal furniture. Mm -hmm. My sister is more into country furniture, so there's more for her to buy over there, yeah. though she does do a lot of traveling in this country. But in the last oh, six or eight years, the antiques business has changed. Yes. I mean, the, the main underlying fact is that it's gone. Yeah. I mean, in the old days, 25, 30 years ago, I would go down to New York City in January because there were 13 auctions. I'd spend two weeks previewing the auctions. Mm. Now, if I go to New York, I fly down in the morning and fly back at night. Wow. There's just nothing that's gone. Um, so, how, are you, how are you handling that here? Well, the only thing that you can do if you want to handle this quality is you get on the road. So uh -huh. I look at things online, mm -hmm. mostly at auctions, mm -hmm. and to see whether it's worth a plane flight, and then I fly all over the United States. Really? And uh -huh. it's, I will fly to LA, to L.A. for one thing. I mean... Is this if you have a customer for it, or if it's just a really nice piece that you're interested in? We do communicate with customers uh, on a request basis, but I don't buy anything unless I would keep it anyway. I mean, I buy for uh -huh. stock. Uh -huh. I will notify something. I will notify somebody that I have purchased something that they're looking for, but I don't count on it being yes. exactly the right size, exactly the right color, and all the other parameters that are in their head. Uh huh. Now, where do you see these items for sale? Where do you find them? On the internet? Or? Sure. Oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I mean, I, I do, you know, once a month I go from shop to shop to shop, but that takes a great deal more time mm -hmm. than me shop to shopping on the internet. Right. Um, right. I also find that, you know, I'll go to uh, an auction in Ohio or Chicago or St. Louis or L.A. or wherever, and there will be 3,000 things in the auction, and I'm interested in four. Yeah. You know, there's, it's just gone. Mm -hmm. So to find things that are mid-18th century that are really good and in really good condition... They're very few and far between. Mm. And I also find that if it is downtown New York at Christie's or Sotheby's and there's a, a fair concentration of that quality, it becomes much more difficult to buy. It has a real retail following mm -hmm. and it has a large number of dealers whose business is based on commission purchases. So they're just a go-between between the retail client. Right. I can't buy it retail. Right. So if I find a great piece that's out in the boonies, um, my chances are better. Right, right. What is, uh, can you name some of the more interesting things to you that have gone through this shop since you've been here? Wow. <sighs> the, the thing that my son accuses me of or jokes with me about all the time is that the things that come out of my mouth to describe most of the things that I own are repetitious. Greatest I've ever seen, very rare, mm -hmm. beautiful construction, blah, blah, blah. But 
the thing that's fun and why I can handle his razzing is because it's also true, mm -hmm. is I have in many, many areas, I've qualityed myself right out of business. Like I used to handle a great deal of lighting, both American and European lighting. Mm -hmm. But after you've bought 50 wooden-based rush lights, I'm done. <laughs> so the only rush light, I haven't had a rush light in 15 years. Mm. The, first of all, 95% of them are fakes. And really? That high? Oh, it's just huge. I, I have, this is an interesting story. I used to handle a great deal of really killer lighting, really good lighting. Came from some of the most important collections in Europe and in England. Not so much in this country. <laughs> I would sell these English pieces, and then I'd see them, you know, a month later advertised in Maine Antiques Digest, and they transformed into Pennsylvania. <laughs> but that, I mean, the difference between American iron and English iron lighting devices is just where they were made. I mean, the guy that made them in England is the same guy that made them in this country. It's just a boat trip in between. Mm -hmm. I used to buy a lot of wonderful iron from a man in upper England, northern England. Um, I hadn't seen him for about three or four years he had opened up a new area in his shop. Um, on the winding stairs, going upstairs to his iron place, on each riser it said, everything up here is new, next riser. Everything up here is new, next riser, and so forth. So when I got upstairs, Robin said, okay, on this wall is one area that I supply, here's another wall, and so there were three walls. The one on the left, I didn't need to pick them up. You could see that they were fake. The wall in front of me, after a brief examination, they were fake. The ones on the right-hand wall, I spent two hours up there with the sun coming in, which is unusual in England. And <laughs> every trick I knew, the grain in the iron, the wear on pivots, everything, every trick that I knew to authenticate lighting was there and it was all fake. Wow. My purchasing of good iron lighting devices instantly stopped. The uh -huh. only lighting devices that I've bought since that day have had impeccable provenance. Wow. So that I knew that they were they were purchased and kept in a collection since before it was profitable to build lighting devices. Well, you know, um, fakes and frauds have been a big I talk about it way too much in this pro, in this podcast, but it is just another example right here of how that that has hurt the market. You know, I mean, it kills a market. Fakes. Um, well, that's that's effectively. I mean, in, in in sort of fewer words, that's my job. My job is to, after almost forty years of experience, is to look at something and tell you whether it's right or not, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and. I'm good at it. I mean, yeah. That's why I do what I do. I mean, it's that old tautology. You like what you do well, and you do well what you like. That's absolutely, <laughs> I agree 100%. Now, a rush light, just for the listener that doesn't know what it is, it's a little clamp thing that would clamp like a, a bundle of rush. Wouldn't it a little like a, was it a... No, a, a, a rush light used a reed like a cattail stem, which is hard on the outside, and it's a porous 
pith just on a the single inside. piece not yes. like wrapped and they would okay. while it was wet when it was fresh picked they would strip off all of the outside husk the hard part except for a, a single strand which kept it strong kept it straight and then those were dried thoroughly dry and then they were dripped in meat drippings in tallow in fat hmm. and then and, and i've made them and burned them and a 30 inch uh, rush, which I made out of cattail, and there's it's a different type of plant in England, uh, would last for about a half an hour. It's smoky, but it's quite bright. Really? And if you are, I mean, England 200 years ago was the class society. So you either lived in a beautiful house or you lived in a hovel. <laughs> so when the sun went down, if you wanted to do anything to have a source of light, was vital. And candles were very expensive. You did not have candles. Really? But you did have meat, and you did have fat drippings, and you Mm -hmm. could go out and pick rush, and it was a method of doing weaving or reading or whatever Mm -hmm. after the sun went down. Wow. What's some other type of lighting that you collected at the same time? Was it mostly? Well, there was a lot of, there is a lot of American tin lighting. There are all sorts of methods of, there's camphene and there's whale oil and Mm -hmm. there's fat lamps and from crude to exotic and, Mm -hmm. and I handled very little of it anymore. It's gone. Right. I did one collection in Rawlinsford, New Hampshire. The woman collected for like 50 years. And that's the last lighting, really fine early lighting collection, American lighting collection that I've ever seen. Right. I just haven't seen anyone. Well, I've been in California for 11 years, and you see zero. Out there. Right. <laughs> you see nothing out there. Um, and I noticed these uh, hurricane shades you have here are wonderful. They're all etched, and they're tall. Uh, is that what they are, hurricane yes, shades? Yes, they are. Yeah. They're, they're very unusual. Normally, hurricane shades are like the one down here on this table we're at which is sort of like a reverse hourglass. It has a mm-hmm. bulge in the center, and that's the normal shape of a hurricane shade. Whereas the one that you're looking at, or the ones that you're looking at, uh, are cylindrical and then engraved with that oriental scene, mm-hmm. which I've never seen the like. Yeah. But that's the often repeated phrase of a good antique dealer. I've never seen the like. I mean, that's what we're looking for is we're looking for the exotic. We're looking for the one-off. We're looking for the special. Mm -hmm. And that's what's fun. That's what makes the chase so much fun after all these years. Right. Now, who are your buyers? Uh, I'm going to ask two different, this is a two-part question. Do you have any young buyers, first of all? And who are your buyers in general? I basically sell to collectors. I sell to people who are going to live with the pieces. Yeah. And so what I tend to talk about with people is um, where the pieces are from and what they are and show them references and stuff. But the, the thing that's the most difficult to transfer and the most important is the emotional content of the piece of furniture. Mm-hmm. And one of the examples that I use is that if you were at the Louvre and you spent a half an hour looking at the Mona Lisa and you just walked out, and one of the ways you can exit the Louvre, you come out near some antique shops, 
and in the window right across the street, there's the picture of the Mona Lisa in the exact same frame, a copy, obviously. <laughs> so there you're standing in front of a copy, but you were just standing in front of the real one. And that's the difference, mm. is that you can buy a reproduction. New furniture, if it's really good new furniture, is almost always copies of antiques. Henrendon, Baker, mm -hmm. right. you know, Duncan, all of these. They're, yep. they're all copies of the real thing. The really good companies actually get it right. Their spatial relationships are correct. Most of them don't. Mm -hmm. They're a little stretched, they're a little wrong, they're, they take a little bit from two or three different periods rather than just sticking right. with one. Um, so the, this furniture is the same as new furniture in that it's yellow and it's got square legs and it's comfortable, but it also is 200 to 250 years old. It has emotional content. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I refer to myself as an antique snob <laughs> that, and I've, I've written a thing about it, I haven't published it yet, but um, I have a house full of this stuff, but there's two or three things in my living room always, and they change at times, mm -hmm. that I have spotlights on, that when I'm sitting there having dinner, I'm looking at that particular chair mm -hmm. or that card table, and mm -hmm. I never tire of it. You appreciate it like someone would a painting. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, it's three-dimensional instead of two-dimensional. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's really nice. Now, do you have any young clients at all? Yes. Not as many, but I find that everything comes in waves, mm -hmm. that you will have a preponderance of young people, and then you won't. But the, the thing that I use to console myself when I listen to people whining about, oh, it's the lawnmower. <laughs> the, the thing that I use to console myself when, when, we're, when I'm talking with somebody that sort of brought up the subject you did is, do you have any young clients, is that here's people that will be successful I have a nice car and they have a nice house. What are they going to fill it with? Ikea? Yeah. Bob's Furniture Mart? Yeah. I mean, you can sit on it. It's just fine. But nothing's going on. No excitement. Mm -hmm. No emotional content, my favorite phrase. And people that are successful in our society are usually bright. Mm -hmm. And so where else can they go to have furnishings in their house that speak of quality and their talents, their choices. And this is it. Yes. I mean, new furniture doesn't make it. Mm -hmm. This, mm -hmm. The quality of this and the, uh, the stories that it tells from where it is. I mean, this is period furniture, mm -hmm. that it comes from the period, that this was, these were all designs that at the time swept the world. That's right. Yeah. That the designs of furniture in Italy and France and England and the United States all kind of looked the same in Queen Anne, in Chippendale, in Sheridan's time, in Neoclassical, in Empire. They, they looked the same pretty much the world over. 
-hmm. And what's the furniture design of today? Can't really tell you. None. <laughs> there is no yes. furniture movement. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are gone. That's right. That's, that's it's only on traditions. It's, it's the Walmart containerized <laughs> fast shipping, which is all wonderful from one point of view. Disposable, but it, though. But exactly. Yeah. It, it has killed the, the, the talented furniture-making culture. I think it's going to have a revival because... Oh, I do, too. Yeah. Where else can you go? Right. I mean, people are going to get tired of the IKEA, which they won't even moving companies won't even touch. I don't know if you've ever heard that. No, but I, I think kind of, of it as apart. dorm furniture. Yeah, or yeah. Uh, the other. And it's attractive for the young people. It works. And the only part that I like about the sort of the revival of the mid-century is that it gets people sort of involved in a style from before. Yes. And that, that's kind of where it ends. Yeah. <laughs> some, of, some of the newer furniture, I, when I'm in a nastier mood, I call it curb furniture. That <laughs> in about 10 years, it's, all on the, it's on the curb. <laughs> that's funny. Well, this has been great, Rick. Uh, you're, you're a wonderful guest. And uh, would you make a stab at how many pieces you have in your shop? Have you ever... I know you oh, have to do inventory once a year. There are thousands. Yeah, I would say literally I mean, we do thousands. aim at furniture and larger things, but uh -huh. there's showcases full of things, too. That's right. I yeah. don't know, two, 3,000? Yeah. I don't know. And all, all have a story, which is yes, great. Yes, on the website, there are, I think, 18 or 20 different categories. Well, the one that's the really full is miscellaneous, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> where yeah. I don't have a category for, like, yeah. um, whatever. Yeah. All right, Rick, thanks so much. A pleasure, Martin. So this is Martin Willis with Rick Jorgensen, and we're signing off. While you are on our website, antiqueauctionforum.com, Please stop by the forum message board, click on the community tab at the top of the menu bar, and you can join in on a topic, post your own website links, and do a lot more. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's show.